Hello, and welcome to the Biotech 2050 podcast. Biotech 2050 is a think tank chronicling the disruptions changing the biotech industry over the next several decades. Check out our website at biotech2050.com. I'm Rahul Chaturvedi, co-founder of Biotech 2050, and today's host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Clora. Clora is a platform that is solving the talent crisis across the life sciences industry by democratizing access to the world's best expertise. I'm excited to welcome Chip Clark, President and CEO of Genosha Biosciences. Thanks for joining us today, Chip. Thanks, Rahul. I appreciate the chance to talk to you. Same here. So let's start off with you know, the arc of your career and how you got to where you are today. I'm a biopharma lifer. I got into this field because I could combine my interest in science and my desire to do kind of meaningful work or what I thought would be meaningful work. I was fortunate to get a strong grounding in how the industry works first through big pharma. I spent a bunch of years at SmithKline Beecham, which is a predecessor to GlaxoSmithKline. And from that point, I've kind of moved ever closer to the action, if you will, which is to me really about getting direct responsibility for the decisions that drive medicines from the whiteboard through to reaching the patients after approval. And I got that first by joining a biotech venture capital firm called Care Capital, where probably for me, the most important thing was to get incredible exposure to this diverse and vibrant biotech ecosystem where all kinds of ideas are being tested and companies are being formed all the time to see if we can advance these ideas in ways that ultimately will solve problems for patients. And I knew having invested in that field that I wanted to join it. I left Care Capital to co-found about a company called Vanda Pharmaceuticals based in Washington, D.C. The idea there was that we would acquire discarded or deprioritized big pharma assets, fix them, develop them, launch them. And it's done quite well. There are now two approved products and, and it's, of course, a public company. And from there, I ultimately joined Genosha, which I was excited about because of the combination of the people working there, the technology, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and the idea that we could be making life-changing medicines. I mean, go back to what I said at the beginning, doing something that really had, to me, meaning grounded in science was going to be so important. So I was really excited to join Genosha. Great. And what was that transition like for you from going from being a CBO at Vanda to now running your own biotech? You know, for folks that are listening, what were some areas where you've been CEO now for quite some time? What were some areas that you realized that you didn't have previous exposure to, but now were part of your core responsibilities? Yeah, it's probably the area of biggest learning for me in that transition was that, you know, CBO, I certainly had a seat at the table in every important decision that Vanda was making. But in being the CEO, I suddenly was ultimately responsible for all of those decisions. And perhaps the biggest difference was that, you know, I was responsible for getting the most out of people whose domain expertise I had very little direct experience with. And so I had to become much more fluent in manufacturing and clinical development and all of these other areas that are essential to company success, but that I had never had sort of direct purview over. I think that was the area of biggest growth for me and, and one that ultimately was how I got to be comfortable in the seat. 
once I knew that I could help each member of my team become the best version of themselves professionally was when I was comfortable that I could be the right CEO for the company. Great. So before we jump into Genosha, I'd love if you could set the stage for us in terms of immunotherapies, the oncological focus that immunotherapies have recently taken, and just what that current landscape looks like now. Yeah, it's an incredibly exciting time because cancer has been for many decades, one of the major killers in humanity. And up until fairly recently, at least on a broader timescale, the treatments for cancer have been really brute force methods, surgery, of course, um, radiation treatment, chemotherapy, which is kind of chemical warfare on the whole body with the hope that it would kill the tumor. And in previous decades, there has become an understanding of certain mutations driving cancers. And so from there, our industry was able to help discover and develop targeted therapies that would go after such mutations. Think of the HER2 new mutation that is a, a major driver of certain breast cancers. And the therapies that have resulted from that understanding have been exciting and transformative to the treatment of breast cancer. What's really happened in the past decade has been a clear understanding of how to translate what has been a fundamental understanding about how the immune system fights cancer into action. There's been probably a century or more, it goes back to Dr. Coley in the late 19th century, was one of the first people to show that T-cells can help control and kill tumors. And so we've always had this idea that we might be able to find ways to direct or unleash T-cells in ways that could result in effective cancer treatments. And in the past decade, probably there have been at a high level, two major advances that have both flung the doors wide open, but also created lots of questions. The doors they've opened have been in terms of showing there are viable pathways to unleashing T-cells. One is so-called checkpoint inhibitors. These are drugs exemplified by Keytruda from Merck and others from BMS and other companies, which more or less take the brakes off of T-cells. Tumor's natural defense is to kind of cloak tumors so that our T cells, which play a natural surveillance and killing function in the immune system, killing, in fact, cancer cells, cancers effectively cloak themselves. These drugs take the cloaks away so that T cells can find the tumor and kill it. Another approach has been so-called CAR T therapies, which have been a way of kind of engineering T cells to recognize certain, especially blood cancer tumors, and to oftentimes eradicate those. These are kind of two examples of how we've figured out how to unleash T cells in ways that many more cancers are much better controlled than they were a decade ago. And so today and into the future, what Genosha and many other companies are trying to do is to improve, hopefully meaningfully upon those ideas to better harness and direct the immune system to ultimately render cancer as a broadly controllable disease, not a near death sentence as it is in so many cases. Well, with that great primer, let's talk about Genosha and the founding story and what got you initially interested in the company. Well, what got me interested in the company is ties right back to what I said at the beginning, that I wanted to make a meaningful difference. 
And specifically what Genosha does is, as we say, we develop life-changing immunotherapies for people suffering from cancer by identifying the right tumor targets. So let me explain what that means and why that matters. It means customizing the cancer therapy to fit that patient and their immune system. And that matters because it's incredibly hard to do right. You know, I've already said that cancer is kind of a war between our cells and our immune system. And it turns out that every tumor, nearly every tumor, has a kind of personalized signature, if you will, of so-called neoantigens. These are fragments of things like genetic mutations that our immune system, and in particular our T cells, recognize and react to, hopefully to kill the cancerous cell. And so we believe that personalizing the immunotherapy so that each patient's immune system can win its battle with the tumor it's facing is the key to clinical success. And the path to doing this, we believe, starts with reading that personalized neoantigen signature and finding the specific ones that unlock the tumor to the T cells, kind of the needle in the haystack. It's really an enormous challenge, but it's why we say targets matter. And it's why we believe that identifying the right specific tumor neoantigens is the key to making better products for patients. And on that point now, Chip, where are you from an R&D perspective? And if you could share some thoughts around your key programs and pipeline. Yeah. So maybe it's best to start with our underlying science and and why we think we are well-positioned to make these life-changing medicines. We have a platform that we call Atlas. And we think that this platform positions us to uniquely and better find these neoantigen signatures that will unlock the tumor. And the genius of it is really the genius of our scientific founder, Darren Higgins, who's a professor at Harvard Medical School, and of our chief scientific officer, Jess Fleckner, who's really industrialized his idea into the Atlas platform. And ultimately what we do is we take the guesswork out of this profiling process. We know that there are potentially hundreds or even thousands of these so-called neoantigens in every tumor to choose from. So which is right? With Atlas, we essentially recreate ex vivo, the T-cell immune system reactions to the tumor, interrogating the reactions against every single candidate neoantigen to find those that are truly driving anti-tumor responses. So we're taking the guesswork out of this target selection. So we know that when we aspire to a personalized solutions, patients, you know, their tumor and their immune system, we're able to to really hit the mark. And, you know, our lead programs reflect this. We have a neoantigen targeted vaccine called Gen 9, for which we're in the long-term follow-up in a phase 1-2A clinical study. In this, we've already demonstrated, I think, really compelling and differentiated immune responses where we are showing, I think, for the first time, evidence of a cancer vaccine that drives immune responses to essentially everything in the vaccine and where those immune responses are translating into compelling clinical benefits in combination with these checkpoint inhibitors that I spoke about earlier. 
We're also advancing a program that we call Gen 11. And this is perhaps our most exciting program because of what it may portend. Vaccines drive immune responses, but cell therapies, of which Gen 11 is one, these are where we take a patient's own T cells, re-educate them, reintroduce them into the body to fight the tumor. So if a vaccine is kind of a way of persuading the immune system to fight a cancer, a cell therapy is a much more intensive lesson, starting with a bolus dose of T cells, but a bolus dose of really information that the immune system runs with. And there we're running a clinical trial right now for which we're expecting to report clinical data in the window of late Q4 through Q1 of next year. Very exciting times at Genosha. Inherent to drug development in our sector is there's a lot of risk and failures along the way, and it can be very hard to maintain a great company culture as you go through the ebbs and flows that every company goes through in our sector would love to hear your thoughts on you know, any lessons learned along the way for you and your team around how to keep folks motivated and aligned given the inherent risk in you know, everything that we do as an industry. Yeah, it's a really important question. And I think it certainly starts with mission. Work is hard in that we spend more of our lives with our work colleagues than with our families, oftentimes. And even in the pandemic setting, we're staring at the screen for you know, eight to 10 hours a day, probably, if not more. And so having a common purpose, a shared North Star, I think is critical to any company's success. And it is for us this idea of making life-changing medicines for patients fighting with cancer through the Atlas platform. And I think beyond that, there have to be sort of a shared understanding of the goals and plans, of course. But on, even beyond that, I think there has to be a shared understanding of the behaviors that we, as leadership of the company, value in people, the things we're looking for to stitch ourselves together into a, a family, a unit of people who are driving forward, we hope productively, to deliver on our plans. At Genosha, we prize a few things. We have what we call our core values. Agility is absolutely critical. You've mentioned just now that you know there's so much uncertainty in drug development generally, and being able to follow the science on what is often a nonlinear journey and reacting with agility to the inevitable setbacks and being able to learn from them quickly and move on is a behavioral trait that we prize when we look to hire people and it's one of our core values. Tenacity is another one as well. These twists and turns have to be opportunities in your mind, not barriers. And so people who are willing to push through are people that we prize at Genosha. We certainly value character too. We want there to be real discussion, even arguments about the right path the right decision on a, on a given matter. But we want people to approach those discussions from a position of kind of fundamental respect. And that's what to us having character really means. But none of this matters if you don't have heart. If you don't know, if you're not jumping out of bed in the morning, thinking about the patient that we're ultimately looking to serve, then you're probably not at Genosha for the right reasons. 
And the other thing that we value is what we call zest. You have to want to have fun too, uh, whether it's in the work itself or in, in the ways that we kind of try to stay connected to each other within and outside of the workforce. And so these core values we find are critical pillars that support the plans that drive us to the mission. And you know, on the topic of people, the talent landscape in our sector has changed quite dramatically over the last several years, and the heterogeneity of that talent continues to increase. Uh, curious to see what you're seeing as a CEO in you know, one of the main biotech clusters. What have you been observing, and has that changed at all during the pandemic? Well, it's changed both in the time I've been at Genosha and the change has in some ways accelerated and in some ways turned during the pandemic, I would say. It's great to be in Cambridge. There's an incredible depth of not just talent, but high quality, motivated talent. And so we feel really fortunate to be able to attract and ultimately retain such people. It is also the case that we're not the only exciting company, as much as I like to think so, in Cambridge. And so even as we are attracting and, and looking to retain folks, we know that there are plenty of other well-capitalized companies with cool people and lots of money around the corner that are trying to poach our talent. And so I think for companies to succeed, that mission and plans and core values all have to be clear in order to ensure that people do stay. And I've seen just the quality and depth, as well as the competition, increase during my time here. What's changed during the pandemic is really that I think we've all had to learn to think more flexibly about what work is. And as a consequence, I've completely changed my stance on remote work. I would have said before the pandemic that only in the most exceptional cases would we either hire people from outside of the area, or I should say hire people who are based outside of the area, or allow people to have a significant part of their work done remotely. And what was underpinning those biases was the belief that culture is just critical to winning and getting the most out of each other. But what we've learned in the pandemic is that there are tools that can knit us together. We're on one right now. And there are ways, if you think flexibly about what your company is, to make sure that every single person, regardless of geography and regardless of the amount of time they spend in the office, can feel connected to and motivated by and excited by the company. If you can do that, then you can tap into a much broader talent base than you can if you limit yourself to the admittedly deep talent pool of Cambridge. And so I personally have hired two people on my leadership team during the pandemic who I've never met in person and who are based outside of the region. And it's worked beautifully. So I hate to talk about positive things in the context of the pandemic, but that's certainly one of the things we've seen. Anything else that comes to mind in terms of perhaps an evolution of thinking of how biotech can operate and how that's potentially changed in your mind as a result of the pandemic, you know, let's say a silver lining of the pandemic, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's certainly one silver lining. I think, you know, in my role as, as CEO of Genosha, but also my role as kind of a citizen of Massachusetts, 
One of the things I wonder about is what is going to happen to our biotech cluster? We have an incredible concentration of ideas and talent and capital that have come together believing in proximity. But if proximity, physical proximity matters less, then will our cluster, the physical proximity of our cluster, diffuse? And if so, what does that mean to the infrastructure and economy and society of, in this case, you know, Eastern Massachusetts? I think we have, as executives in the company, a big responsibility to be thoughtful about this question so that we're not just maximizing our personal benefits, but also maximizing the benefit to everybody in the company and everybody hopefully in the region. So I think that's a kind of a big question that we have to think about. And I'm excited to see how, but I'm, I'm so, I guess I'd say I'm hopeful that this, just as we've used technologies to kind of extend the reach of our company and, and presumably other companies are doing the same, it may actually be that instead of seeing our cluster dissolve and diffuse as people all sort of live wherever they want, we actually extend the tentacles of the cluster so that the Boston Cambridge biotech cluster becomes more the center of a web that draws on the best and brightest around the world. Yeah, I totally agree and hope we continue to see some of these trends that have emerged that have unlocked you know, some potential across our sector that they're here long past the pandemic. From a financing perspective, and as you, and particularly in the context of clusters, curious to hear your thoughts on any trends that you are starting to see emerge or that you think may emerge over the next one to two decades. In my time at Genosha and Vanda, let's say, so my time most deeply associated with the biotech cluster, I've already seen, depending on your scoring, certainly two, maybe arguably three boom and bust cycles where there's been an influx of capital chasing hopefully pretty good ideas. And that's largely translated into some of the medical innovations that we've already talked about, such as these checkpoint inhibitors and, and, and cell therapies that are making many more cancers manageable. And I'm a net optimist here, so that even though there are boom and bust cycles, the amount of knowledge that exists about how the human body works and how we can best be fighting disease or even redefining what disease is continues to grow incredibly rapidly. And the sophistication of the investor class, which is not just you know professional investors, but also successful entrepreneurs who've become angels and pharma companies who are increasingly, if not exclusively, outsourcing almost all of their discovery work, all of that continues to strengthen as well. So if there's ever more knowledge and ever more sophistication of the buyers as well, I'm in this way as well, a net optimist that even if boom and busts continue, I really think of where not just Genosha, but our industry is, is still at the very early stages of where we could be. Biotech has gone from a funky idea to a few small companies to, you know, really the driver of innovation in the biopharma industry in a few short decades. And from here, you could easily envision that as we look to 
do ever better jobs controlling disease, anticipating and combating pandemics, thinking about how we can live longer better. All of those major, major problems are things that biotech can be developing solutions for. And so I'm excited about what that continued growth or mutual growth, really, of scientific ideas and and capital will bring for humanity. And so now, Chip, as you think about the year ahead and the several years ahead, what's next up for Genosha? So we have set out as a company to prove that targets matter that, in fact, our platform, Atlas, for the selection of the cancer targets is really the best possible way to direct the immune system to fight cancers. And so in the short term, what that means is continuing to advance our Gen 11 neoantigen T-cell therapy, for which we'll have a lot of data we expect from our clinical trial coming in the next couple of quarters. And we hope also advancing our neoantigen vaccine, Gen 9, to do the same a little bit earlier in the treatment landscape so that we have a couple of different therapeutic options for fighting cancer. Beyond there, I think there remains incredible promise inherent in our platform because T-cells don't just help us fight tumors. T-cells are one of the critical arms of the immune system's fight against pathogens as well. And so if you think about, you know, why do we not have vaccines, for example, against bugs that everybody knows, E. coli, herpes simplex, other things like that, it's because we haven't yet figured out how to bring to bear the T-cell arm of the immune system to fight those pathogens. And we'd like to be at the heart of that battle as well. Moreover, autoimmune disease is in some ways a battle of our T cells against healthy parts of our body. And so we want to figure out and help figure out what those T cells may be targeting. And and instead of amplifying those responses, tamping them down. We founded the company around this notion that understanding and harnessing the T-cell arm of the immune system's responses to the body in a way that accounts for the huge genetic complexity of T-cell responses and the human diversity of T-cell responses was on the right track. And so in the short term, we want to continue to prove our point in cancer, and we'd love over time to expand into other disease areas as well. And Chip, if I may ask you to reflect for a minute and think about perhaps your younger self, what's one piece of advice that you wish you had when you were younger or that you would now provide to your younger self? Yeah. (laughs) Well, let me answer it this way. I think when we grow up, or certainly when I grew up, my goal in school was to be right, to get the best grades, to do as well as possible on tests. And, you know, that's a mindset that I carried forward through college. And being right shouldn't be the goal. (laughs) What I would tell myself, call it the 20-year-old myself, was not be afraid of failing. I think the biotech industry and the science underpinning it is a tribute to smart failure. So many experiments go wrong. So many scientific ideas that end up winning, being right, are the product of failure upon failure before them. And there's an ecosystem set up to help the best ideas emerge from that 
process of guessing and failing and experimenting and failing so that the best ideas win. And that's a pretty good metaphor for life. If you've made good friends, if you have the loving support of your family, if you're thoughtful about your own professional development, trying and failing is not a death sentence. It's not uh, career limiting. It's a stepping stone to future growth and ultimately, hopefully, happiness and success. I wish I'd known that earlier. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, Chip, it was a real pleasure to chat with you today to learn more about the exciting work that you and your colleagues are are pursuing at Genosha and wishing you continued success in the months ahead. Thanks so much, Raul. Thank you for listening to this episode of Biotech 2050. This episode is hosted by me, Rahul Chaturvedi. It's edited and mixed by Megan Lovering. If you enjoyed this episode of Biotech 2050, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Biotech2050pod. Again, that's Biotech2050pod. Until next time.